Hello and welcome to The Food Podcast, a show where personal stories are shared through the lens of food, and this time through the lens of homemaking with Canadian singer-songwriter Jill Barber. I'm Lindsay Cameron-Wilson. I'm writing at a little blue table in the loft at the cottage we share with my sister and her family. The sky is a uniform pale blue. Behind it, somewhere, the sun is trying to break through. It's been raining for days. Robins are flitting around in the droopy evergreens outside the window. Someone is mowing a lawn off in the distance. It's a dreamy setup, working up here, above the action. I can hear my sister moving around downstairs, putting vegetables away after a trip to the market. Now I smell beets simmering on the stove. And we will eat them in a salad for dinner tonight, along with the chicken thighs I have been marinating in the fridge. It's a marinade that started with our friend Tara and has been passed around again and again every summer. Lots of garlic, fresh ginger, cumin, coriander, cayenne, soy sauce and a can of ginger ale. I love it when there are two moms at the helm, getting things done, prepping food for later, taking turns sharing the labor. In the corner of the loft up here beside the little blue table is a basket filled with old toys, a plastic KitchenAid, a telephone on wheels with eyeballs that roll backwards when the phone is pulled across the floor, a buzzy bee from our friends in New Zealand, and lots of books. Looks like going on a bear hunt is about to lose its cover. That one got a lot of play over the years. It was given to me by a friend when her kids were teenagers, like mine are now. It's the story of a family who set out on a bear hunt, singing the refrain, we're on a bear hunt, we're going to catch a big one. What a beautiful day, we're not scared. The family faced obstacles along the way. Tall wavy grass, a river, a deep cold river, mud, thick oozy mud, a forest, a big dark forest, a snowstorm, a swirling, whirling snowstorm, a cave, a narrow, gloomy cave. And each time they face an obstacle, they chant, we can't go over it, we can't go under it, we have to go through it. I will give anything away, but In the end, they all scramble back home and up the stairs and find safety in a big, comfy bed under a thick comforter. The home is the haven, the protection, the safe place. What we don't see is the parent of the kids wondering how to tackle the grass, the wind, the rain, and the mud that is now in the bed. And how will that parent make dinner now that there's a bear in the house? How will they do anything? It's just my sister and I here at the cottage because our husbands are away. We're used to cohabitating this way. Both of us always worked from home and we're used to fusing the domestic with work from the outside world. In my case, the two are one. The food, the people, the mess, the order, all the flavors. They come together as fodder for a story. Jill Barber's latest album, Homemaker, is spinning on our portable record player down below. I've been listening to Jill's music since my kids were little, when she lived here in Halifax. I probably read Going on a Bear Hunt before popping out to catch one of her shows. This album is different from the others. 
It's pared back Jill. Jill at home. Jill in isolation. She wrote the album during lockdown when she was at home full-time with her daughter and her son and her husband, and I got to listen to it live a few months ago when Jill was in Halifax performing at an intimate club called The Carlton. Thank you very much, folks. I have a, a seven-year-old daughter. I've got a nine-year-old son. I've got a 51-year-old husband. <laughs> and recently, those three people convinced me to adopt a five-month-old puppy. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you could, you could call this a working vacation. <laughs> I wrote this album at my home. I wrote it about my home life. And um, I really kind of returned um, home to my roots as a singer-songwriter, just me and an acoustic guitar. And, and so I'm, I'm honestly just so thrilled to be now sharing these songs with you in person because there was a time when I sat on my couch uh, Weeping, <laughs> um, not knowing if I would ever get on a stage again to do this, and feeling kind of um, conflicted about my um, my non-touring uh, musician life and just being at home, like with my family, who I love. I love my family. I gotta say. <laughs> All right, here's the title track from my record, Homemaker. won't do themselves dust upon the shelves and times impossible to find is anybody gonna help tidy up these toys or the clutter in I can't remember a singer nailing a feeling like this back when I was struggling to tidy toys and the clutter in my mind. It did feel like that, creativity swirling with a limited amount of time to turn all of that creativity into art in the midst of home life. I was listening to a lot of folk music at the time, the Be Good Tanyas, Gillian Welsh, and leaning into Iris Dement with songs like Easy's getting harder every day. Standing barefoot on a cold wood floor Looking out the window of my back door Keeps on raining, I think the whole damn house is gonna float away I loved the sense of shared melancholy on those long days at home. When you're spiraling and all you want to do is feel even sadder than you already are, that always feels good just for a little while. 
But I wasn't trying to escape my life like the woman in that song. I just needed a nap and maybe someone to wash my dishes. Like Jill Barber's homemaker. I was writing recipes then, making content for cookbooks and a cooking show. And the crazier things got, I knew I could use it in my work. Life could be dirty and ugly and beautiful, and it all depended on how I chose to spin it. The home was both my workplace, my refuge, my struggle, and my muse. I wanted to know what Jill's muse was before she wrote Homemaker, back when she played with a big band and her lyrics explored beauty and romance. I think my muse was the, the, the romance of life and the beauty of an elevated romantic um, view of the world. I think that was my muse for many years. I feel like music, um, music was a way that I could escape into a more romantic world. And, and then just to contrast that with my new album, Homemaker, I, there was no escape and I had to go through, like I couldn't go over it, couldn't go around it. I had to go through it and write about it. Going on a bear hunt must have had some play in Jill's house too. I'm talking to Jill online. She is back in Vancouver after a two-week East Coast tour. And I can see she's wearing puff sleeves with a cozy vest over top. Beauty in the gray Vancouver weather. I think I see it in you too, this desire to appreciate uh, the beauty of things. It's a, it's a very kind of privileged place, to be honest. Um, you know, but to move through life noticing and to uh, to enjoy enjoy all that there is to to enjoy food and beautiful drinks and friendship and music and sunsets and um, flowers and like all of the all of the kind of <clears throat> all of the things about life that seemingly are um, extra um, or or frivolous but actually are what make things meaningful and beautiful about our lives. I feel like I'm kind of speaking in an obtuse way right now, but I, I think I have that. in. I feel like I'm attracted to other people that also celebrate um, real beauty and move through, through life um, with a little bit of like romantic, a little bit of a romantic sensibility. I think the secret to sharing the romance of life is to get as specific as possible. Recently, Stephen Colbert interviewed the American poet and journalist Clint Smith, and right away, Colbert asked Smith what he can achieve in poetry that he can't achieve in prose. Smith said for him, poetry is the act of paying attention, paying attention to a moment, to an idea and a feeling and an image. Or, for example, the tree across the street from your house, he said. And when you notice that tree with specificity and granularity and intimacy, you can see that tree in a new way. That I think allows you to see it in new ways. And that's what poetry does for me. And in this book, I think I try to turn those, that sort of lens toward fatherhood and think about those moments with my kids, those moments with my wife, um, those moments that I want to hold on to. Those moments to hold on to. The good and bad. 
There's a small hawthorn tree across the street from my house, growing on the verge between the sidewalk and the street. The tree is also called a mayflower because it blooms in May in more temperate climates. Here in Nova Scotia, it's a June flower. When you look up close, each blossom looks like a tiny rose tight with petals. I can see this June hawthorn through the window from where I am talking to Jill. Its blossoms are just coming to an end. Some say it's a tree of strength because of the strength of its wood. Others say it's the symbol of hope. Hope that spring is finally here. Hope that pale pink will line the busy street, even if the apartment next door has left its garbage everywhere. Yeah, if you write about the universal, it can kind of be washed out. But when you write about a really specific experience, it's amazing how many people identify with it and how how much that very specific experience can be relatable to other people. And sometimes being specific is really hard. It's the darker stuff and the stuff that takes bravery to share. The whole time that I was home with my kids during the lockdown that so many of us experienced this sense of isolation and just being at home, not by choice, but um, forced to remain at home. That was, that was a hard period for me and so many other people, of course. Um, and I didn't do any thing. I didn't do any writing during that time. Not at all. I was kind of in survival mode, just trying to get through it and trying to insulate the kids from it. And they were thriving and I was kind of like withering on the vine. I just had nothing. I was so depleted. Um, I had, I really had nothing left, um, in the tank. Uh, but the, the day that, that my kids went back to school and daycare respectively, that day I picked up my guitar and I wrote the title track from my album homemaker. And that was like that writing that song was a little bit of, um, to use a food analogy, like a breadcrumb, but in reverse, I was like, Oh, I could put this breadcrumb down. That's like, cause I'm, you know, there are breadcrumbs everywhere. Everything's a mess. You know, the kids have left a mess and I feel like I'm a mess and I've got to pick up the pieces and I've got to find my way out of this place, out of these woods, you know? So that was like the first little breadcrumb. And then I thought, well, I could, I could, I, I actually didn't even feel like I had a choice. It wasn't this conscious at all. I just needed to process. I needed to process the whole experience um, of my own sort of identity crisis that I, that I felt, um, when I was thrust into this role of homemaker exclusively, um, because as a, I've been a professional musician for 20 years, touring has been a huge part of what I do and who I am and momentum has been a big part of my career. And when everything ground to a halt, I was just in kind of shock and trying to figure out who I was, if not a musician. And if, if I was, if I was a, a mom, a homemaker exclusively, what that looked and what that felt like. So this is a long way to answer your question and just say the moment that I had that I could come up for air, I was, I was desperate to process. And the way that I did that was through finally picking my guitar up again and trying to put it into words. 
That night at the Carlton, I talked with musician Danny Ledwell, who was accompanying Jill for part of her show. He is married to Jen Grant, and I asked about their two little boys. Danny told me they had just come back from the East Coast Music Awards and were up on stage with their boys when Little Hank launched from Danny's arms live on television. I think Jen caught him, or maybe it was another musician. Danny just laughed and shrugged. It was real life and something you don't see in the music world very often. It's rare that you hear popular musicians talking about domestic, the domestic grind. Because it's not very sexy and it's not very fun. And, um, and yet, so many of us, it would be relatable for so many people. So many of us, um, yeah, have homes and kids and jobs and we're, we're trying to juggle you know, do the life work-life balance. And, but it just doesn't seem to get discussed that much in music. So yes, you mentioned Slow Leaves. Um, Grant Davidson, a.k.a. Slow Leaves, a Winnipeg singer-songwriter whose music I discovered, I really, it, it, I connected with it because he was writing songs about, about being in midlife and being a dad and being in a long-term romantic relationship and what that looked like. And these are all the things that I wanted to hear. And um, so he's one example. There are a few other artists out there that um, have written beautiful songs that have touched me and spoken, like spoken to that part of me, but just not enough. So I, and I, and I was, I myself was afraid to go there because I felt like I'd built a career on songs that were about love and romance and, you know, um, not about doing the dishes and doing the grunt work and keeping up a long-term relationship that was hard work, you know, like, so I was, I was a bit afraid to go there, but, um, I had no choice. I had no choice. I had to go there because everything kind of the, the events of the world and the events of where I was at in my life, everything came, um, kind of just crashing together and it feels good now it feels good to just be very real about what my life is like and talk about it in my music Very real by getting specific and sharing the specifics right down to the Cheerios beneath the feet. Cheerios turn into powder when you step on them. They're really hard to clean up. Impossible, unless you have a dog. So pick up those suckers when they're still circular and whole. The most beautifully specific details slide into my life each week in the form of Maggie McKellar's newsletter, The Sit Spot. Remember Maggie from her episode on this podcast, when she shared her beautiful letter from her Merino sheep farm in Tasmania? This week's newsletter was entitled, Lucinda Williams and Me. Maggie writes, 20 years ago, in a time of acute grief, my friend sent me a mixed CD. On it was Lucinda Williams' song, Joy, from the album Car Wheels on a Gravel Road. I'd play it in the car, 
my five-year-old daughter in the front seat because nobody told me that this was not allowed, and my baby in his capsule in the back. I turn it up loud and let the words spit and curl out of me. The song is super simple. Mostly the guitar does the work, that and Lucinda's ragged, angry voice. I sang it with a wild loss of innocence, a fury that something precious had been stolen, and I wanted it back. I hadn't read this yet when I spoke with Jill, but I mentioned Lucinda Williams as we chatted, because she is someone who touches on pain and dips into the domestic, or circles around it, or hits it hard. She resonates with so many women in my life. It's funny you should mention Lucinda Williams because I just sent a song of hers to a friend of mine who's going through a breakup of a long-term relationship. And it's her song. It goes, you took my joy. I want it back. You took my joy. I want it back. It's this great, but it's gritty. I'm not even like, it's a gritty song saying you took my joy. I want it back. And I just like, I just love that. Um, I love, I love that song. And I sent it to her cause I was just like, yeah. Don't take my joy. I love Lucinda Williams. I have for many, many years. And uh, yeah, she's been the soundtrack to a lot of eras of my life. Maggie continues. During that raw, desperate time when my children were small, my brother said, those towns, West Memphis, Slidell, they're just small towns in America. From middle America to Australia to Vancouver, There's a through line through pain that builds in momentum through the simple act of connecting and sharing, and it feels powerful and not so lonely. As soon as I started writing my first songs when I was a teenager, about 14 years old, I was compelled to share them. My first audience was my brother, my big brother, Matthew, who's also a professional musician, and I would play my new songs for him. You know, we'd and he would play his new songs for me when we were teenagers. But then in high school, I would also organize basement shows with my friends where I would perform. So I would say that the desire to perform was very connected with the desire to share and express myself through my music and to connect with other people through songs. It's not so much that I was that kid who always needed to be in the spotlight. I don't think that's my... Um, it's, it's not even my natural, yeah, it's not my natural inclination to be in the spotlight, but it is definitely my, the way that I feel most connected to other humans is through sharing my songs and having people relate to them and connect over, over, uh, an experience like that. Before I spoke with Jill, I went for a walk in the park with my friend Sally with our dogs. We talked about homemaking and domesticity and Jill's album, Born from the Tension of Being at Home During the Pandemic. Sally is an anesthesiologist and mother of three kids, 18, 15, and 12. She wasn't doing elective surgery at this time, only emergencies, so her weekdays were spent at the hospital testing COVID protocol simulations, then revising and retesting. And the things she built into her life that made her happy were gone walks with friends, Pilates, book clubs, connection. So she decided to make cakes every weekend for three months with her kids 
They baked elaborate cakes. Their extracurricular activities were canceled, so the cakes became their extracurricular activity. Fancy cakes, three tiers of lemon chiffon, coconut, Victoria sponge, chocolate peanut butter. Mayor lemon bun cakes with candied lemons danced over the top. It was full execution, she said. Then her perfectionism took over, and she continued to make the cakes because she said she would every weekend. But they became drudgery. This perfectionism is welcomed in a surgical setting when you're an anesthesiologist. Qualities like attention to detail, seeing every potential negative outcome of an action immediately, needing to control every detail of an environment, which at work keeps people alive. She remembers trying to find this illusion of control as a mother when the kids were babies. If she could just plan the right snacks, stick to the perfect nap schedule, then everything would be okay. If she didn't stick to the schedule, if she didn't plan the right snacks and the kids broke down, she would blame herself, saying it was her responsibility to reach positive outcomes. But baby schedules are like fancy layer cakes. Sometimes they work out and sometimes they don't. During the pandemic, Sally continued to see her therapist. They talked about relationships and stress and domestic stress and feeling out of control. And it was the therapist who spelled it out for her. The qualities that allowed her to excel at work actually hindered her at home. I told this story to Jill. It hit home. I do feel like people are called to do things. I'm not suggesting there, <laughs> there's a voice outside of us. It's like an inner voice. Um, you know, we're called to do things in our lives. Some of us, not if, you're, if we're lucky, I guess, um, we're, or if we're listening or if we're brave enough, you know, like I, I think, um, well, I think we are all called to do something. And, um, and then, and for some that voice is louder for some, it gets quieted for whatever reason, life circumstances. And, um, and yes, that call for me to to be out there on the road doing what I love to do and what means a lot to me is is at odds with my home life. It just is. Being the touring musician is um, is is demanding in 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 the opposite ways that being um, you know an engaged wife and mother at home with the people that I love, uh, you know, in the way that, 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 that demands. So, uh, yeah, it's a tension that I'm always, always living with. And, uh, I feel like I, I always, I, th- I kind of return to that, just that belief that ultimately, all we want as parents for our kids is for them to be happy. And um, we want to give them all, all the tools they need to, to be happy. But we ourselves, um, we need to model, we need to model that for our kids. Model it. Listen to that voice. Talk about it on Walks in the Woods with Friends and share what we do and sing about it. 
I kind of believe, and especially with this album, Homemaker, I feel like I'm on, I do feel like I, I have a bit of a mission, which is to, to not only um, try to be seen as a homemaker, but also to, um, to help other people like me feel seen as a homemaker. So I feel kind of driven by that mission at the moment. I think it's important. And uh, thankfully, I do have a very supportive family. I mean, the kids are supportive to a point when I say, it's time for mommy to go on the road again. Um, you know, but they're, they get it. And, um, and most importantly, my husband is very supportive and he also gets it. He really gets why it's important to me and why it's important in general. Homemaker is someone who works, manages, and cares for the home. Laboring at home is a privilege. I know that. My grandmother was a working mother. She taught junior high math while raising her three daughters. She didn't want to work. She had to work. So when my mother had children, she couldn't wait to fill the gap her mother couldn't fill. She wanted to be a homemaker. It wasn't a trend at the time. Her friends were burning their bras while she was making soup and nursing babies and sketching our little forms as we slept. She is an artist who found creativity in homemaking. And that's how I was raised, by a woman who valued and celebrated domesticity. I'm not saying that she ironed my undies. I'm saying she was there when we came home and the house was warm and ready for us. Homemaking is complicated. It's the personal and the political all woven together. Working at home is not a choice for everyone. It can be more expensive than childcare and more undervalued than work outside the home. And some hate all things domestic. It's not for everyone. For a deeper dive into this conversation, I recommend Angela Garvis's book, Essential Labor, Mothering a Social Change, a New Yorker book of 2022. Angela's work has appeared in The Cut, Bon Appetit, NPR's Fresh Air, and she co-hosted The Double Shift, a podcast challenging the status quo of mothering in America. This time last year, Angela spoke with Julia Tertian on her podcast, Keep Calm and Cook On. They spoke about mothering, which is also what we're talking about here. Angela said something that really struck me. Mother and motherhood are nouns, which she says is static. The daily reality of being a mother and mothering which isn't parent-specific or gender-specific, is repeated action. It's cleaning and cooking and loving and hugging and tending. It's a verb, and it's something we can't do alone. She actually says we can't get through life on our own. We need to share what we've learned. We need Jill and Lucinda and Angela and Maggie and Joy and books and songs. We need connection to get through. Connection is also a noun. But to connect... That's a verb. Jill's husband is also a musician. The transition back into domestic life for both of them takes work. Transition is both a noun and a verb. Either way, it's hard. So the transition, because he just did, he just did a weekend of shows and it takes such a different, it's such a different energy 
um, the kind of energy you put out to put on, to perform and to put out show, to put on shows. Um, and you know, we, he, whether it's him touring and performing or me, we always come home exhausted, but having to pretend like we're super fresh and be so there for the kids, because of course they're welcoming us home and we are thrilled to see them, of course, but we're exhausted and we really have to pretend then also the other parent who's been solo parenting is exhausted and there, there tends to be this kind of like, um, okay, you're up. But anyway, it's, it's brutal. It's, what I'm trying to say is it's really hard. Um, and just, um, the circumstances of the way, when I got home from my last tour, I'd been away for two weeks and Grant was, had the kids up at our family cabin up on the Sunshine Coast. And I had one day to myself before they came home. And it was, it was incredible. Uh, and I will tell you, I spent the entire day cleaning the house because I'd been away for two weeks and things were, things got a little, you know, a little out of control. And I needed to kind of like reclaim the space and just tidy everything and clean everything and organize everything. So I were, it's not that I was, I didn't put my feet up, but just having that 24 hours to myself in a quiet home where I could, I could kind of like reclaim the space and get it ready for the kids and Grant to come home the next day. And it was wonderful. And we were kind of joking. We're like, how do we make it happen that there is a day like we could have a day and the fact is it's just not practical. Um, but we both try to have a bit, a bit of understanding for the other person when they're coming home from, from being on tour, because it's, yeah, it's, it requires a very different, you know, it requires a very different energy. I lasted 47 minutes up in the loft at the cottage. The steam from my sister's boiling beets in the kitchen below was rising up through the floorboards, warming my toes. The kids were lying around with sand between their toes on sandy sofas, and they were on their phones. So I climbed down the ladder from the loft, and I transitioned into role of mother. I took a breath, and I thought about the coasters and that perfect song for teenagers. Just finish cleaning up your room. Let's see that dust fly with that broom. Get all that garbage out of sight, or you don't go out on Friday night. The best tool for a transition at times like this is to do something physical in the kitchen. When Jill and I spoke, I told her about the bowl full of limes I had on the counter, needing action. She told me to make Allison Roman's key lime pie, so that's what I'm doing. This is the sexiness of domesticity. Zest slimes. Cut them in half. Juice all ten of them until you have one cup. Ask kids to take the empty limes to the compost. And look, now they're up moving. It's all working out. And before I whisk the lime juice with eggs in a can of sweetened condensed milk, I wash my hands. Jill's song, Woman of My Own Dreams, is coming on the record player. Running in the yard, 
in the earlier part of my career, it was about wanting to reach the greatest number of people. And now it's um, wanting to reach whomever in the most meaningful ways. Like I kind of, instead of going big, I kind of want to go deep with people and it's not, it's not going to be for everyone. And that's, that's okay. Uh, I, my only real, um, my only real marketing idea for this album was that friends would share it with friends. I kind of had this belief that like, if it touched somebody, then they might, they might say like, Hey, this, I heard, or I saw myself in this and, um, and I feel like there are other people out there that might, it might resonate with too. It's kind of like, uh, kind of like recipes, you know? Yeah. If something works and, um, and, and you love it, um, it's not, you, you might not like advertise it to the, like everyone has to try this recipe, but you might share it with a friend. And I kind of had this hope that, um, yeah, that this, this music would get, would find its way around, um, through, um, through sharing, because it's something that people want to share with, with their community, with their friends. Yeah. That pie was the best thing our family has eaten in a long time. I'm here to pass it on to whoever needs it. Link is in the show notes to the recipe and to everything else we talked about that's linkable. Thank you, Jill, for your music and for your wisdom and for coming on the food podcast. This series is edited by Abby Circatella. Our theme song, One More Night, is by singer-songwriter Jen Grant. If you'd like to support the show, please rate and review the food podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And consider signing up for my newsletter. It's called Food Stories. The link is in the show notes, or you can head to lindsaycameronwilson.substack.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Lindsay Cameron Wilson.